Evander Kane re-signs with the Sharks for a lot of money, but that doesn't matter if you're a fan of the Vegas Golden Knights or the Washington Capitals. They're still going at it, and one of them will win their first ever Stanley Cup. In this show, we preview the finale that a lot of people didn't see coming, but are certainly looking forward to. Episode 127 of the Lace em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to this Stanley Cup Finals edition of Lace Them Up Podcast, everyone. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. And after we break this series down, we'll talk about several front office mix-ups and the demise of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, but that will come much later in the show because we got a lot to tackle in our Stanley Cup Finals edition. But first, we're going to delve into the Hockey Hall of Fame book of trivia Brett, are you ready for this week's question? I am ready, yes. Okay, question 16 is what we're going for here. Okay. As soon as I can find it, here it is. Okay. Only one NHLer registered a 200-goal career without having at least one 20-goal season. Who is that Hall of Fame member? Is it A, defenseman Larry Robinson, B, center Igor Larionov, C, left winger Bob Gainey, or D, defenseman Scott Niedemeyer? Um, well, if we're dealing with points, I know that defensemen usually don't get a ton of points, so I'm, gonna, I'm leaning towards uh, Scott Niedemeyer. I'll, re- I'll repeat the question. Only one NHLer registered a 200-goal career without having at least one 20-goal season. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, I mean, even still, I, it still counts. If we're dealing with goals, yeah. I know that defensemen usually don't get a ton of goals uh, to begin with. So um, I'm going to say it's Scott Niedemeyer. Um, yeah. Well, you're half right. It wasn't the defenseman you were thinking of, though. It was a defenseman, Larry Robinson. Ah, all right. (laughs) But you're right. It it was a defenseman. Anyways, uh, on with the show, previewing the Stanley Cup Finals. Brett, the floor is yours. Yeah, first off, uh, before we start, I wanted to uh, say uh, happy, uh, or I guess it's not really a happy Memorial Day, but um, usually, because Memorial Day is usually where we, uh, in America... To all my American listeners out here, or to Canadian people who don't know, Memorial Day out here is where we, uh, it's just a day where you spent, uh, remember all the troops that we lost, or soldiers we lost in a lot of wars, and kind of give support to all the, the armies and navies, air force, all those different military institutions we have here, so, um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, I hope you're enjoying your day off, at least, um, to all my American listeners, all our American listeners here, um, but yeah, so, uh, the exciting thing is, uh, you have the Stanley Cup Finals to look forward to, uh, later tonight, um, considering this is going to be, um, on Monday, um, so, assuming you're listening to it right away, which I'm sure you are, 
we have the Capitals, who uh, finally made it to the Stanley Cup Finals in the Ovechkin era. Ove- this is Ovechkin's first Stanley Cup Finals um, ever. Uh, we'll get to uh, how they did it in a second when we talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning obituary. But we're gonna we have a couple questions. Um, oh, and then of course the Vegas Golden Knights, who are also going for their first cup um, in their franchise history, which is their first year. Um, the, this is their inaugural season, and um, it's impressive. So whoever wins, um, it will be a historic win because um, this is going to be their first cup, and it's um, it's going to be like two kind of, but they're both like very intriguing teams, and um, they both deserve to win um, the Cup um, if they do get it. Um, So, uh, yes, we have a couple of questions, like I said, um, just as a primer, a preview for for the Stanley Cup series that we have. Um, We're going to start off with Marc-Andre Fleury has been on fire, these Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, but of course... um, He's been one of the main reasons why they've been they've gotten this far um, in the playoffs. He has uh, 1.68 uh, GAA and a uh, save percentage of a 9.47, um, including four sh- shootouts, shutouts, shootouts um, in 15 games. Um, that um, that's very uh, crazy. Uh, he's been playing the best in his career, um, so I have to. We have to ask, like, is this? Can he continue this pace? Is the uh, he's he kind of reminds me of like what Tim Thomas was, um, shades of Tim Thomas in the 2011 playoffs. It was just on fire um, throughout the entire time, um, but uh, he's been even better than Tim Thomas has been. So. Um, so can he, uh, can he continue this pace, Steve? Well, we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of Marc-Andre Fleury is doing, but honestly, this entire season for Vegas makes zero sense to me. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't he continue this pace is my question. Yeah. But at the same time, you would think at some point he's bound to hit a bump in the road. I mean, his even strength save percentage in these playoffs is at 956 heading into this series. That's 17 even strength goals against in 15 starts. Absolutely absurd. Yep. His save percentage is at 901 when Vegas is killing penalties, which is pretty good. And out of the two goalies, I would say he's the most rested, too. So um, while I think he is going to be playing decent, I think the Caps are going to figure him out at some point in this series. Um, I think Flurry's at the very least going to give his team a solid chance to win. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's going to get outdueled by Holtby. I don't think he's going to outduel Brayden Holtby. I think both are going to play just as good. But yeah. um, I, I think at times he'll see Flurry look a bit human. Yeah. But I don't think it's to the point where he just collapses. Yeah. When I think of like who the Knights had to play. Um, in order to get this far, they started off with the Kings. They, you know, Jonathan Quick was pretty much the only reason why they were even, um, those games were even close. The Kings, like, offense didn't really show up. Um, then they went to play the Sharks, and they kind of looked lackluster, too. Um, the Jets kind of had, uh, were a little bit tired, and, 
um, just from the Predator series, and of course they have weapons, but um, it, it like it didn't really seem like Flurry like Flurry had too much to worry about. Like he, of course he made a a ton of great saves, but um, you know it also felt like you know Winnipeg kind of underperformed there as well. So I don't know. I feel like. The Capitals are going to be their big is going to be Flurry's biggest challenge so far, um, just because you have guys like Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, and Backstrom, and John Carlson, and who are um, who all have double digit points. Ovechkin and Kuznetsov have twenty um, points overall, like more than twenty points even. Um, and then you have like guys like T.J. Oshie who has fifteen points. Lars Eller, Tom Wilson of all people has eleven points. So they they have like a lot of players who are playing really well right now in the playoffs, um, which is something that the other three teams that I just mentioned didn't have. So I think, um, so I think that's going to be something that's going to uh, that might uh, come back to bite uh, the Knights. Um, in the future, but at the same time, Flurry has been unbelievable. So I wouldn't be surprised if Flurry um, continues his pace and becomes Mark Andre Flurry like like he has been this entire playoffs. But um, and that's really the key to the playoffs is all you really need is a hot goalie um, in order to win the cup. Um, so. You know, Flurry is that hot goalie, and um, so I wouldn't be surprised. But I don't think um, I don't think he'll be able to sustain it just because of the amount of uh, weapons that the Capitals have at the who are playing really well at the moment. So um, yeah, um, I don't know if you have anything else to say on this matter. <laughs> uh, not on that subject because uh, I will come back to Flurry at some All right, point. So. Sure. I'm going to save all those notes for later. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, speaking of those weapons for the Capitals, um, we're going to talk about... I did mention that Kuznetsov has 24 points, but uh, we're going to talk about Alex Ovechkin because he is, in my mind, he's probably the best goal scorer in this decade, or at least post-lockout era in terms of goal scoring because you always know he's going to score a goal. But it seems... and like. It's always been the narrative with Ovechkin is that he's always been, um, as people say, like, oh, he can't, um, he's not, he's never good at, he doesn't show up in the playoffs, which is kind of ridiculous. He's not a playoff performer, yeah. Right. But that's kind of ridiculous because he had, like, I think he has, like, 50 goals in the, in his playoff career. Um, and I think in game sevens as well, he's, like, yeah. a point of game player as well. Yeah, he's like it's it's always been like it's just a bad narrative to have considering it's like it's not Ovechkin who was the issue, it was everyone else around him. Um so so now he finally has that supporting group of guys like Kuznetsov and Backstrom and John Carlson and Oshia or guys that I just talked about who have been performing at this point. But anyways, uh Ovechkin has been really good. He has 12 goals, 10 assists in 20, so in 19 games that he's played so far, um, and um, he's also been equally as amazing as Flurry has been. Um, can he continue this uh, pace? Um, let's take it to you, Steve, again. 
Well, uh, you talk about the supporting cast, and that's interesting to starts to stumble, and he's, I think he's the leading scorer in the playoffs right now, as a matter of fact. Who? Um, I think the pressure for Ovechkin to oh, play at this pace yeah. is going to increase, because a part of me thinks that the emergence of guys like his nets has helped take the pressure off of the veterans, like yeah. Alex the Great Eight, like you mentioned. And I think the key for him will be to bring all the energy he can to help his team win, even if it's not on the scoreboard. Like, everyone can get so caught up in the stats, like myself sometimes, and yeah. debate those stats to the crack of dawn and proclaim that this guy showed up enough in the playoffs. If he's doing other things to creating scoring chances, like forcing turnovers, making a big hit, generating a scoring chance, I think that's going to be enough. And in Game 6 against Tampa, we saw that. We saw him elevating the energy with his play, with the look in his eyes, with the passion that he showed. In Game 7, we saw Tom Wilson make a big hit, and that forced... Ovechkin's icebreaker in the first minute of the hockey game. And, right. and that kind of started basically the beginning of the end for Tampa Bay in that game because uh, the Cats ended up winning that game for nothing. So I'm not looking for necessarily so much difference-making plays in the form of goals. I'm looking for difference-making plays, period, from a guy like Ovechkin in this series. He doesn't have to get 10 points to prove anything. Yep. He just needs to do everything it takes to get wins for his team. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the only thing with that is is if he doesn't get any points, then people will shit, and they I think he will be the key to the Capitals' success. And I think that if um, you know, so if he doesn't get any points, I think people will say like, "Oh, he didn't show up." Um, yeah, so and, he, and no doubt he's got to get points. He right. just, I'm not saying he should. He needs to light the whole place up. You know. Right, right, right. Yeah, that that's fair. Um, by the way, I'm just looking here. I found that uh, Ovechkin has 58 points or 58 goals, 112 points in 116 playoff games. Um, that's so, near point of game pace. Yeah, um, and also you were right that Kuznetsov is leading the uh, playoffs uh, race with 24 points. Ovechkin is just behind him with 22. Um, but yeah, so. I, I think, yeah, you have a good point. I think, that, like, it, it's not just, like, the only reason why I mention Ovechkin is because he is their superstar. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you're right. It's like Ovechkin has all these other guys, so even if he doesn't continue this pace, he has other guys to worry about who can potentially uh, pick, him, pick up the pace for him. Um, but I think, I don't know, I'm excited about this matchup because it, because we did just talk about Flurry, and it's like you know Flurry's been playing his best that he's ever had, and Ovechkin's going to be playing really good too. So I'm I'm going to be curious to see how Ovechkin does against a, a goalie, a hot goalie like Flurry, because I'm sure because Ovechkin's like you know known as like a really you know as I just mentioned he's like an all time goal scorer uh, at least in since I've been watching hockey. And um, I'll be interested to see if he can actually um, continue to do this, pull this off um, in the next round, or in this round. Um, Alright, so uh, we did talk about spotlighted those two players in particular, but um, we're going to say, like, who are other players that we should look out for on both teams? Um, whether this this can be 
in general, um, if they're overperforming or underperforming, uh, let's start with Washington. So who do you, uh, who are you going to be looking out for um, um, if you're just a casual NHL fan, I guess, what, just watching this, uh, watching this series? Carlson's the big name on defense, always the big name on offense, but we talked about Oshie, five of his seven goals with the extra man. Jacob Verano only scored two goals in the playoffs, both just happened to be game-winning goals. Yeah. And um, the one thing I'm going to be looking for, or a couple of things I'm going to be looking for out of Washington, is the chemistry between Ovechkin and Backstrom. Because as we all know, Backstrom's hand is a bit banged up at the moment. Yeah, like there was a time in Game 7 where... He went to the bench for a goal. You wouldn't do fist bumps with that injured hand. He, would, he did it with the other hand. Mm-hmm. And um, we noticed in game six that his passing wasn't injured enough to set up TJ Oshie for that one nothing goal. But I kind of wonder if Vegas is able to get to him by rushing his passes in the finals. And yeah. if they are able to do that, I wonder if the quality is going to suffer, if it's not going to be as great. And I think that could also mess with Obi's timing as he's preparing to take a shot, um, especially from his wheelhouse as well. I think from his wheelhouse, that's probably the only way Obi's going to score a goal in this series if if they're actually rushing him. Yep. Uh, so I think that uh, they could mess up with his chemistry there. The other storyline is about Braden Holby and what he's done to get the Capitals to this point. 2.04 goals against average, 923 state percentage since he took over for Grubauer in game two of round one. Um in five on five, he has a save percentage of nine thirty five in these playoffs. He's got to continue to play as well as he has in net against Vegas, especially when the Golden Knights are playing with the power play, playing on the rush. Uh, this is a very fast team to contain, and yeah. Opie's going to have to hold the fort. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I am. Uh, yeah, I was going to mention Colby. Actually, you you almost stole mine. Um, it's okay. I have I have other points to make, but I, yeah, I'm a natural at doing that. I yeah. guess. Yeah, I mean it, it's bound to happen. I guess we <laughs> we kind of think alike. I feel like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the I I feel like Holtby will uh, like Holtby has to be on his game. I remember like we they like Holtby hasn't had a great regular season, um, compared to what he's usually had, um, and now it seems like he's back to his uh, old self. Um, in a way, so I feel like that has to continue if the if the Capitals need to play. Um, the other guy I was going to talk about was uh, Tom Wilson. Um, he's kind of been like this like goon, um, you know, just uh, cheap shot artist almost in a way. Kind of this, in a way, he's kind of been this Brad Marchand type player where he's just getting in fights and uh, kind of uh, kind of disturbing other players, getting into their skin. Um, but he's also been pretty good on the offensive side of things. He has three goals and eight, assi- um, eight assists in uh, 16 games, or that's 11 points you know, in 16 games. So I will be interested to see how, like, what Tom Wilson will do to try to get into the Vegas Golden Knights head um, and all that stuff. And, I want to see if, um, I, I've never been into, like, a huge fight guy, but I will be interested to see how he, um, like, maybe we'll see a fight with, uh, Tom Wilson, um, and whatnot, and 
Um, you know, he has that physical presence, and that, that's been a kind of a thing that the Capitals are too soft, but if they have a guy like Tom Wilson in their mat, no one's really going to mess with them. So I think um, that he does have a role with the Capitals, and, you know, it's one of those, like, if you hate him or love him, um, which I'm sure a lot of people do hate him if you're not a Caps fan, um, you know, it's um, it's going to be a, annoying. But, uh, um, he, you know, he's a good annoying for them. Um, so I'll be interested to see how, how he does in these playoffs. Um, also, he's kind of like the X factor, I would say. Also, I am interested to see how TJ Soshi, or Oshi, um, <laughs> um, he, uh, he has, you know, they got him in. Um, I think they signed him up la- a couple of years ago. Well, no, this off season he uh, signed yeah, another contract. They signed him long-term. Yeah, and it, it was kind of like a, he he didn't have a he had a lackluster um, regular season. Um, I think he let me look here. He had forty seven points in seventy four games. Um, that's not great. But in the postseason, he's been he has seven goals, eight assists, fifteen points. In 19 games, that's kind of so he's he's shown up in the playoffs, and I think um, I think if he can show, finally show up in the Stanley Cup Finals, then I think they can like prove that he was worth that much money um, that they gave him um, in the off season. So we'll see how that goes. Um, and yeah, so I so those are the two players I want to I want to watch out for. I have a feel. I wonder if we're gonna have the same kind of players to look out for. For Vegas, so uh, I'll let you Before go first. Before we get again. to Vegas here, there's one other capital that uh, neither of us mentioned that I think we should watch out for, and that's Andre Burakovsky. He yep. had two goals in Game 7. Uh, he admitted that he had been seeing a sports psychologist. This guy is apparently pretty hard on himself. He's yep. driven to succeed. Um, if he gets on a roll, he could be a difference maker in the finals. Yeah, true. Um, also, obviously, Evgeny Kuznetsov is another one. Yeah. Um, but uh, we kind of talked about him already. But like he's yeah. been he's been on his game. He's, he's been one. Yeah. That you expect something out of, right? Exactly. And you know, like it's it was kind of like I was kind of debating if I should include him or not. But, but like considering he has been doing so well, uh, he has twenty four points. Yeah. But I was like, all right, fine. I guess that's someone we can look out for too. But um, all right, so Vegas Golden Knights. Who do you uh, have on that on that team? Well, uh, before I get to this, and I promise it's going to tie into this, this whole run has got the shock factor of Donald Trump becoming president of the United States. Like, at the very beginning, everyone thought it'd be entertaining just to see what would happen. Like, imagine Trump running for president. Yeah. Imagine Vegas getting a hockey team. A bit absurd to think about. And then Trump runs for president, his campaign gains some steam, and then all of a sudden, he's the president of the United States. I thought with Vegas's goaltending, they would at least be competitive at the beginning of the year. Um, I didn't think they'd be a playoff team at first. I thought it was possible towards the end of January when they started to get on that roll. Mm -hmm. But making the finals in their first year of existence, nobody thought that Vegas would get this far in less than 12 months. So I I think I'm almost willing to watch almost everyone on this hockey team because it's incredible just watching this entire roster um 
the Golden Misfits, as uh, Ryan Reeves uh, dubbed them, uh, following uh, their Game 5 win over Winnipeg. Yeah. They just keep finding ways to win and defy logic. And that's what makes this team so compelling, is the way that they got to the finals is something that we may not see for years, if at all, ever. So um, I, I'm just going to be watching this entire team, just watching them play as a unit. Yep. Um, but if I, had to, if I had to pick one guy, I would say Nate Schmidt, the former Washington Capitol. He's averaged yeah. almost 25 minutes of ice time per game in these playoffs. That's good enough to earn him a spot in the top 20 amongst all NHL playoff defensemen in 2018. Flexible on the power play and penalty kill. Um, as far as forwards go, probably Jonathan March or so. Um, just under 20 minutes per contest. He has eight goals and 18 points in 15 games. Um, and if William Carlson gets his looks, he might be a player to watch as well. Yeah, um, I was I was going to include like that entire top line. So Jonathan Marchessault, Riley Smith, and William Carlson. Yeah. Um, they've all been incredible this postseason. Um, although William Carlson, like William Carlson, had forty goals um, in the se- in the regular season. Um, he's had six goals in the playoffs, which obviously isn't bad, but. Um, I kind of want to see if he can um, he can get going there, um, as well as Riley Smith has been uh, really good for them too. Um, I also kind of am interested to see if David Perron. He's kind of been um, yeah. under, I think he has like the flu. I, saw, I thought I saw, but um, he he was also pretty good for them in the regular season. But he only has seven points or seven assists in eleven games so far. Um, so I kind of want to see um, if he can get going um, in the playoffs. Um, yeah, he had 66 points in 70 games um, in the uh, regular season. Um, I, uh, um, and maybe if he can get going, then Eric guys like Eric Halla, um, yeah, who are on his line, um, can, can get going as well. Um, it's also kind of interesting, too, that a guy like Thomas Tatar, who they got in the trade deadline, only has one goal in six games that he's played. Uh, Ryan Reeves has one goal in six games, who they also got in the trade deadline, so I'd kind of be watching out for them, too. Um, Maybe they'll make a difference, too. We'll see. Um, All right, let's go to the next question here. So, speaking of the Golden Knights, what do they have to do to win the Cup? And... um, yeah, and who will get the con Smythe if they win? Um, I guess I'll go first here. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, so I have a couple things that I've already talked about a bit, but Fleury needs to be on point. Um, we've already talked about it, that he's been on fire. Like even if he doesn't like keep up that pace, um, I think he still needs to be really good because that's been one of the main reasons why they've even gone this far in the first place. There were some stops in the in the conference finals where he was just like he was just incredible. He's been he's been the best. He's playing the best um, he's been in his career. So um, so all the uh, so he needs to be on top of his game. The top line has to be firing, as we mentioned. So Jonathan Marchessault, Riley Smith, and William Carlson all have to be um, you know doing their thing and. Um, they have to be firing, and they have to get into whole, whole beats, rhythms of things, and kind of disrupt them. Um, and also, I feel like 
the big difference between both the Knights and the the Capitals is I feel like the Capitals have a slightly better defense. Um, but that's not to say that the Vegas Golden Knights don't have a terrible defense as well. So yeah, you mentioned Nate Schmidt, um, also Shea Theodore and Colin Miller have been really good too. Um, but I think they, they, they should definitely, they'll definitely be the difference makers and all the things because the Capitals have a lot of weapons, um, in their arsenal, offensive weapons, uh, you know, Kuznetsov, Backstrom and Ovechkin in particular, um, and the defense has to stop them, um, and I, I, I think that's what's what's gonna come down to is if guys like Shea Theodore Schmidt and Colin Miller, um, and even Lucas Sabiza can can uh, can help out, and it's you know uh, can can stop those guys or at least make Flurry's job easier. Um, so, um, yeah, I'll see. I think the defense will be the key point. Um, the Con Smith will go to Flurry if they win this. I don't even think it's a question. Um, it could be Jonathan Marchessault, I guess, but, um, it, like, Mark andre Flurry has, has this already, I feel like. Um, he, he might even get it if the Capitals win. So, um, yeah. Um, so what do you say? Well, honestly, they just have to stick to their game plan and what's made them successful all year yep. long. Uh, their transition game is one of the best in the league. Uh, we saw them stalemate the Sharks in round two on multiple occasions in game five of the Winnipeg series. We saw the same thing of them forcing the issue on the Jets, taking away the options that they had. Um, so, Brayden Holby about the Caps' defense. They've surrendered the second fewest shots on goal on 29 right now. Uh, so they need to get in this line of sight. They need bodies in front of the net. They need to look you know, moving, get to loose pucks but before the Caps' defense. Colby's kitchen, their chance so when they go up pretty considerably, I think. Um, and to all the doubters who say they can't do that, they were able to pass a similar challenge against the Jets, and they averaged the fourth fewest shots against in these playoffs. Yep. And um, I think they could do that against Washington also because of the amount of rest they're going on. They had about a week to prepare for San Jose after sweeping L.A. They had about a week to face Winnipeg, and now they have six or seven days of rest before taking on Washington. Uh, so I definitely think that bodes well for them. As for the con Smythe, um, it's Mark andre Fleury, 100% if they win. Yep. Um, like, in the Winnipeg series, there were times where the Jets' offense really shined, and Fleury had to make some 10-bell saves to keep his team in the game. Um, and before you go on and praise Vegas' defense and go on to say that, ah, Fleury's impressive today percentage, mostly th- thanks to the system that his team plays, team system is good. Right. I'd like to point out that one of the guys on the list of all-time single best save percentages, a list that Fleury is currently on at the moment, was Patrick Laleem with the 2001-2002 Senators, a team that lasted two rounds and had guys like Zdeno Chara patrolling the blue line. They don't have a Zdeno Chara in Las Vegas right now. Fleury's worked hard for this, and he deserves it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. Um, all right, uh, then... Uh, We'll ask the same question for the Capitals. What do they have to do to win the Cup? 
and who will get the consmite that they win. Um, I'll let you go first here. Okay. Well, uh, the Caps need to keep doing what they're doing in the first period. Uh, there have been times in these playoffs, a handful, maybe three or four, where they've scored within the first minute of regulation. Vegas is hosting games one and two. They've outscored opponents 10 to nothing at home in the first period of the 2018 playoffs. The Caps need to own the opening 20 minutes and take the fans out of it. The second key is get a 2 nothing series lead. And I say, and I know it's easier said than done, given the fact that they just blew a 2 nothing series lead to Tampa. But at least it's going to buy themselves some time to find ways to beat the Golden Knights in the long haul, even if they uh, blow the 2 nothing series lead. This is a Vegas team that's always bounced back after a loss, and he's behind 2 nothing. Maybe you plant a bit of doubt, that little seed of doubt in the locker room, just a little bit. And maybe that's all Washington's going to need. And in order to do that, their power play's got to kill it. By far and away the best power play, um, besides the Boston Bruins in these playoffs, 28.8% heading into the finals. Vegas's penalty kill is over 80% successful. Washington's is not, so they got to stay disciplined. If they do all that, I'm not guaranteeing victory for the Capitals, but they certainly have a darn good chance of winning it all. As for the Conn Smythe conversation, I say Alex Ovechkin gets it done. Uh, whenever the Caps needed a big game out of him, he stepped it up. Yeah. However, I am going to put an asterisk to this. If it goes six or seven games, Flurry's going to win no matter what. And I say that because... If you've forgotten, in 2003, J.S. Jaguar of the Anaheim Mighty Ducks yeah, got the con spike, even though his team lost Game 7. That year, Jaguar had a 1.62 goals against average, 945 save percentage, and five shutouts on 697 shots face. Marc-Andre Fleury stats this year, 1.68 goals against average, slightly worse than Jaguar, slightly. Yeah. 947 save percentage, better than Jaguar. Four shutouts, one behind Jaguar, 505 shots faced through three rounds. Right. That's pretty darn identical to the kind of year that Jaguar had in 2003. So if it goes six or seven games, no matter what happens, Marc-Andre Fleury wins the consmite. Yeah, I mean, I guess that depends on if Fleury does, like, he has to show up. Yeah, and, if he, if he plays the way he's been playing and it goes yeah. six or seven, yeah, I think he wins. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you touch on some points that I was saying, um, you know, basically Holtby needs to be on his game. He's been, he's been incredible too. Um, as he, as you mentioned before, he's been, uh, top notch in what we thought he would be like in the regular season. Um, he's been like in the playoffs. So, uh, Holtby, that, that's going to be a big key for them, um, in terms of that stuff. Um, also, like, they just, pretty much I just have is, like, the, the Capitals just have to continue to do what they're doing. Um, you know, guys like Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, um, even Backstrom, um, they have to, they have to show up, and Burakovsky was another guy we mentioned. Um, they all need to show up, and, uh, you know, just, like, that's another advantage the Capitals has, is their depth, um, and I think, um, if those guys can, um, can continue to be productive and um, and be a part of the team, um, you know, and, and uh, kind of create a nuisance for Flurry and kind of show like kind of tire him out. Um, I think that's that's certainly a way that the Capitals will be able to 
um, win the cup. Um, and also, of course, Ovechkin has to continue to do what he's doing. Um, he's been kind of their, you know, he's been their force for uh, more than a decade this year. Um, and I think there is something to that um, where um, Ovechkin has to continue to do what he's doing. And um, if he's not, if he doesn't show up, then um, I feel like the Capitals will be in trouble um, because I feel like the rest of the team doesn't really feed off of that. Um, and so that's going to be an issue. Um, yeah, as for Con Smythe, you had a good point. Um, I, I did mention when I was talking about Flurry's going to win the Con Smythe if the Knights win. Um, and even if they lose, Flurry has a good chance of getting the Con Smythe. Um, I do want to say, though, I feel like Ovechkin will probably win it if the Capitals win, um, even if it is, goes 7 or 6. Um, I also could see Kuznetsov maybe being something, or Holtby um, being something, but it's Ovechkin's to lose at the moment, I feel like, yeah. um, if, if the Capitals win. Um, I mean, I guess it's really Flurry's to lose, um, if the, uh, technically. Um, and then finally, so uh, our final predictions. So who do we think will win and how many games? Um, let's, yeah, let's go with you first. Okay. Um, like I said, Vegas is the well-rested team. Washington's riding a lot of momentum, though. And the thing that Vegas was able to do in the Winnipeg series, they were able to weather down that tidal wave of momentum that the Jets were riding yep. in round three. And they ended up getting four straight wins to beat them. My prediction is that, regardless of what happens, Vegas is up 3-2 to two heading into Game 6. If the Cavs win Game 6, they win the Cup in 7. If Vegas wants to win the Cup, they cannot have this thing go the distance because the Cavs know full well they're going to have the Pens and the Lightning nipping at them for the foreseeable future. They know they may not get a chance like this in a while, and I think they're going to do everything in their power to make this opportunity count. They, this Cavs team is absolutely hungry. They're different. Regardless of the tough road they've traveled, they're a different team. And in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Finals, there's no tomorrow. You're playing on adrenaline. The season's ending no matter what. And I think desperation and hunger prevails if this series goes the distance. And that will pose trouble for Vegas if it does. So you're going Caps in 7? This is the thing of two storylines that I feared, because now I have to pick one. Yeah. Um, I'm honestly not mad either way, but um, Washington is seven. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I uh, I I wouldn't be upset if either team won. I feel like you know it's an interesting storyline because on one hand you have this guy like Ovechkin, and um, you know yeah. as I've mentioned, he's he's an all-time great. He's already a legend, even if he doesn't win this cup. Um, you know, he's been the best, he's a joy to watch. Um, I used to hate him early on in his career, but, um, but then like just towards the end of his career, like towards now, I've sort of enjoyed watching him play. He's just a delight. Um, just so energetic and so like, it's just a rarity these days to watch Ovechkin play. So he, um, I am rooting for that kind of thing. Um, on the other hand, it's like, the Golden Knights, um, this run is something that will, speaking of something that we'll never see again, um, even if Seattle does, is a decent team, 
I don't think we'll ever see a run quite like this and how, um, you know, it's, it's kind of weird because I've been thinking about this on and off. It's like, it is kind of cool that like, a te- like it shows that a team, like any team can win a cup. Um, if the, the Golden Knights can pull this off. But then on the other hand, I'm like thinking like how it's kind of like a mocker. It's making a mockery out of the league in that like the, you know, like blame all the GMs who are, uh, who made all those bad decisions and all those weird trades um, just so they wouldn't pick a guy that they were fearing for offloading all these contracts and then all that stuff. So, um, so there are two sides to it, but, um, I am kind of, it's hard not to cheer for them because it's like you're basically just cheering for a bunch of misfits um, who all work together as a team. And that's like such a cliche thing, but um, I am kind of rooting for that as well. So I wouldn't be mad um, if either team uh, won. Um, However, I feel like as an objective hockey fan, um, I'll say I think the Caps win this in six. I think um, the Capitals have a lot more depth than the Knights do, um, and I think that might be too much for them. Um, However, I wouldn't be surprised if the Knights win. Um, If the Knights do win, I think it will be a seven-game series, but um, I think think the Caps have this in six. Um, Unless, of course, unless uh, Marc-Andre Fleury uh, is is a god. Which he could be. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, do Do you think that Vegas needs to win though? Because I think in the hearts of the city, they've already won. Like when uh, they over first shooting, and and how this I, team has helped the city heal. They're the first big four sports team that they've had. Yeah. To go on a run like this, like they're gonna they're gonna be heroes for the rest of their lives in that city, regardless of what happens. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say need to win. Um, I think. I think the Golden Knights are actually set up for the future and all that stuff. Like they, because yeah. like they've been building this team so that they would be good in like three years from now. So like this is just all gravy now. Um, you know, They're even though yeah, exactly. Even the owner said like, "Oh, don't expect us to be good this year. We'll we'll be good in a three or four years, and that's gonna be our window." Whereas for the Capitals, I'm not sure if they're going to make it again, um, you know. Yeah. So I feel like in that sense, I feel like the Caps need to win this more just because I feel like with this group of guys, uh, they probably won't have that again. Whereas I feel like the Golden Knights might have another chance um, sooner or later. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is a fluke season so at all. So um, yeah. I think the Capitals will... Um, have a chance there. Also, I do want to point out, because I didn't find a way to work this in, but I did want to mention that George McPhee, who used to be the cap- GM for the Capitals, um, he actually built both teams. Um, so f- 77% of both rosters were acquired by McPhee, like th- either through draft or trade or free agency. Um, so... Um, so it's kind of like, it's kind of, that's an, another intriguing, uh, thing to this matchup is that like McPhee knows a lot of the guys on the Capitals squad. 
um, just because he used to be um, in Washington. So I, I will be interested to, to see how that all plays out. Um, I wonder how he's feeling, to say the least. So um, we'll, we'll see yeah, how that goes. probably hoping that his current team wins and not his former one. Right, right. I guess that would be even sweeter for him um, if, he, uh, if he beats... Uh, his own if he beats the uh, the team that he, that let him go a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. All right, let's go to the rapid fire. It was all because of that Martin Erat for Philip Forsberg trade, right? Um, <laughs> I wonder if I no, wonder if no, you, it, was get, it was getting Halak at the deadline that really screwed them. Yeah, true. I do really wonder if if uh, if that didn't happen, like if McPhee didn't get trade to Forsberg, like, if he would still be the Caps GM here, you know, uh, that's kind of a weird... That that wasn't one of his finer moments in Washington, for sure. He got fleeced by Poyle there. Yep. Um, So now we do a rapid fire. Um, Lightning... Oh, actually, I have a good question before we go to the rapid fire. Okay. Um... Do you think that, like, let's say the Golden Knights win, do you think that absolves him, uh, McPhee, from uh, trading that uh, Philip Forsberg for Martin Erat deal? Um, well, I don't think it absolves him because, you know, for Cavs fans, they're just thinking, you know, if we had Forsberg on our team with Ovechkin because then it's all, maybe you have a cup by now. Right, right. So, uh, career-wise, maybe, but in Washington Capitals history, they're never gonna live. They're never gonna let him live that down. True, true. Although I, I mean, I think like what he's doing with the Golden Knights is far more yeah, impressive. He's making up for that <laughs> yeah. trade by making like ten yeah. or eleven good moves in a row. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, all right, let, let's go to the rapid fire. Finally, uh, the uh, the Lightning. Um, we kind of glossed over the fact that there was a Game 7 this week. Um, in fact, I think it was the only game, uh, the only hockey, oh no, there was two that we had um, since we recorded. Um, the Lightning, um, lot, they looked kind of defeated. It wasn't really a, a good Game 7. There was only like one fight, which was Tom Wilson and uh, Braden Coburn. Um, but there wasn't really that much else. It was just like a five nothing knockout. Uh, there was a couple of chances, like Yanni Gord had a one that like just hit the pipe, um, or like it, it like he, it was something that he had to have. But um, all even if that did go in, like the the Capitals were just playing better than the Lightning. So um, now I see, I see that there's like uh, some like the narrative is now that Stamkos. Um, is to blame for all this stuff. Kind of like they transferred over all the blame for Ovechkin to Stamkos, which I don't know if that's necessarily fair. Yeah, it's just the the narrative uh, I saw on TSN.ca, there was a question that goes something along the lines of, can you win with Steven Stamkos? I'm just like, are you kidding me? Why are you asking this question? Yeah. If they didn't think they could win without Stamkos, they wouldn't have given him an eight-year extension last right, right. year. Yeah, and it's also sound like, I mean, he didn't play great, but it's not like that he's the issue either. Um, yeah. 
And also, I think uh, there was some stat that I, I, I'm blanking on it, but I think this is the second time in th- uh, three years that the Lightning went to the conference finals, lost game seven, that they were previously up 3 2 um, so in the series. So, um, yeah, and the three games that. that they lost in franchise history all occurred in the conference finals. Yep. And of course, everyone's like, oh, look at that. Stamkos was there for all three. He must be the problem. Right. But also, like, guys like Nikita Kucherov was there. Victor Hedman was there. Yeah, he was there know. for two of the three. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the in terms of um, free agents and all that stuff, uh, they don't have too bad of uh, uh, things to worry about this offseason other than. Uh, JT Miller is an RFA. Um, Chris Kunitz is a UFA. I assume he's not going to be signed, but um, I think next year is going to be interesting because they yeah, have. Yeah, it'll be really interesting. Because because sure. uh, Ryan McDonough, Anton Strollman, Braden Coburn, Dan Girardi are all UFAs, so that's four of their defensemen, um, and. Uh, and then you also have Nikita Kucherov, who's going to be an RFA as well. Um, Arbitration eligible, by the way. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yanni Gord um, is going to be a UFA that year, and so is Braden Point. Um, so so they have to worry. So they pretty much have – so their window is basically next season because they're – Well, with their current roster, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, they're going to have to worry about Kucherov, Gord, and Point – um, and McDonough and Strawman. So those are five guys that they have to worry about for uh, and then on 2019. And top of that, a year after that, Sergachev and Vasilevsky are RFAs right. too. Although Sergachev's an RFA, so, um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. But um, both are probably going to be getting more money than they're getting right now, right? Yeah, yeah, true. Like, like this. Right, right. Both that, I mean, I'm, oh, and Vasilevsky's also going to be an RFA that year too, so. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. Exactly what I said, yeah. Um, but like R, I feel like RFAs. There's no real threat of them losing their team if they're an RFA, just because yeah, offer sheets are not losing the team. It's just keeping the cap and all of your guys intact. That's right, right. Be the tough part. That's true. Like guys like Kucherov, Sergachev, and Vasilevsky are all gonna, and Braden Point are all gonna get a lot of money. Like they're gonna yeah. get paid. Um, so that's and gonna, even like a point, he got like twenty five to thirty goals and over sixty points this year. So right, right. No, that's my it's point. Not like he was not not like he was a bottom six four. Like he was putting up top six numbers. Right, right. That that's kind of my point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. So I guess uh, we'll see how they go. I think I think that's why they kind of got Ryan McDonough because they're saying like, oh, our window is in two years. So even if if we don't win this year, we can we're we're gonna try next year, so, I don't know, maybe they'll they'll try it this year. Um, so, next year is really when their window is going to be closed, um, potentially. Um, yeah, and, and, and they've, they've got, like, the talents, uh, and they got the management to work around the salary cap, yeah. but it's just with this amount of experience, it's basically this year. Right. It's not like uh, this year, and then we got a rebuild kind of thing. Like, they're going to be a Stanley Cup contender for years to come. But with this roster, what we're saying is next season or bust, basically. Yeah. And in a way, they've kind of transitioned over to becoming, like, the Capitals um, now. Because it's like, 
like, will this uh, group of guys ever make it to uh, a cup of finals? Or I mean, I guess they did um, in 2015. Yeah, well, they win a cup, though. Right, right, I guess. So they're not yet the Capitals. This is assuming the Capitals win, I guess. Um, all right, uh, speaking of free agency and all that stuff, Evander Kane resigns with the Sharks for $7 million for seven years. This is kind of a ludicrous, um, ludicrous, insane deal to me. Um, I'm just going to say that. I mean, I know Vander Kane was really good for, for the Sharks. In fact, he had, let me pull up his stats right here. Um, he was averaging a goal every two games, yeah. and assuming he keeps up with that pace, he's going to be a 40-goal scorer. Right. So he had nine goals, five assists, or 14 points in 17 games. Um, so that's, but that's only 17 games. Um, so that's like, I don't know, like 14 points in 17, that's around like a 70 point pace if, if he, if he did that for 82 games, but then again, without any scoring slumps and injury, this guy hasn't, yeah, and and that's the key part too, is sure he's 26 years old, he's going to be 27 when this starts, um, he, he, he's never played a full season. Um, he's never even passed 60 points um, in his career. I know he was really good in the Sharks, so if you can get him for, like, if he can continue to be that good for the Sharks for, you know, seven years, obviously this is a good deal and we're yeah. we're crazy. But but that's all assuming, right? Yeah, that's all assuming that he he's going to do that, and I, that I'm not sure about. Um, especially considering he does have injury history, um, he does have some off ice issues, so I'm not necessarily sure this is going to work. But you know, it's like it feels like the Vegas Golden Knights kind of has kind of like changed my whole perspective on everything. <laughs> so, like, I don't know, maybe this is a good deal, but um, at the moment, this this seems kind of crazy um, to pay this guy that much. Um, now. Uh- Delving uh, more into this before we get into that, it's worth mentioning the Sabres will now acquire either a first-round pick in 2019 or 2020 because that's a condition that was attached uh, with Kane re- re-signing with the I Sharks. I forgot about that, yeah. Is that the Sabres now get a higher draft pick. Right. Oh, yeah, that's right, because the so Sabres not, have... That trade looks even better now. Yeah, the Sabres have the first round, the 2019, their 2019 first-round pick. Um, so they also have their fourth yeah. round pick, you're saying. Okay, interesting. The thing is, though, the Sharks have two, then the 2020 first round pick would go to Buffalo. So all depending on what the Sharks do next year, it could be a 2020 pick or a 2019 pick. But either oh. way, some point within the next two years, the Sabres are getting a first round pick out of San Jose. So if you're Buffalo management, I guess you're happy about that. Yeah, I guess you can't um, complain about that. Even though it's yeah. 19... I mean, I guess if I was the Sabres, I'd rather have a 2018 pick, but um, 29... I mean, you're getting a first-round pick either way, so... Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, yeah. So, uh, here, here's uh, just a little quote from Evander Kane uh, reacting to this deal. Quote, The one thing about this team and this organization is that they allow you to be yourself. They embrace you for who you are, and it's a very unselfish group that makes it super easy to come into a mesh well with. 
I always wanted to stay in San Jose. After the season, that thought never left my mind, and I was happy we were able to get something done, end quote. And I think that was a big thing for Evander Kane is feeling at home, you know, chemistry with the guys, the, all of those st- uh, stats that, you know, beyond the stats, you don't really think about. And right. I think this is the perfect environment for Vander Kane because when he came into Winnipeg, when he came into Atlanta, who were non-playoff teams at the time, he was expected to produce. He was expected to be the guy. Right. And I think he's the kind of guy that if you put thrust into the spotlight like that, maybe isn't going to actual sales. Say the market's a bit more laid back. He doesn't have to be the star there. He's just got to go out and play and do his job. And I think, I think that's why this could work out. But when you look at his contracts and you look at the fact that you still have Hurdle and Tierney to resign this year, and uh, Pavelski and Couture and Donskoy next year, all those guys are probably going to be asking for a raise. Right. Is Kane's cap crunch going to hurt the Sharks there? And that's when we get to the specifics of Kane's contract, because in his last deal, the yep. most that he was making a year was $6 million. That's now the least amount of money he's going to be making a year. At any point in his deal, it doesn't go below $6 million. Right. And while we should mention that there's a lot of signing bonuses – On top of that, there's a modified no trade for each of those years, and he will have to provide a list of not 10 teams he would like to be traded to, but three. (laughs) Only three. Talk about limiting your options with your trading partners if things go south and you need to move this guy. That's that's crazy. It's just the add-ons to the $7 million a year that really kind of boxes San Jose into a corner if things go south. So that's why True. I'm kind of a bit hesitant to say, yeah, this was a good signing. Especially considering that they don't even have like a 2019 first round pick for this too. Um, so like, like, let's say the Sharks are really bad next year. Like the Sabres could have like another first yeah. round pick um, for the Sharks. Because that, that is very possible. Um, to say the least, but, um, yeah, the, it, it seems it's a head-scratcher for sure. Um, even more of a head-scratcher is now this impacts the free agency market because you have guys like John Tavares, JVR, um, and Rick Nash, to some extent, um, who are all, like, be, uh, better than Evander Kane or have shown that they've been better than Evander Kane in the past. Um, they're going to get paid. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. And you know. Evander Kane got $7 million per year. Over- yeah. I deserve X amount of money over X amount of years. For yeah. Next I mean, John Tavares uh, was going to get a lot of money already. Yeah, no matter what he wants. Yeah, yeah. But, like, guys like Rick Nash and Paul Stasny even, like, um, yeah. you know, those guys are going to get – and JVR, they, they're going to get a ton of money uh, just because of this market deal. Um, um, just because of Vander Kane's getting so much. Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how this goes and how this impacts the entire um, free agency market. Um, all right, we have a couple of other things uh, to talk about um, off-season news. Lou Lamarillo is the, uh, president of hockey operations for the Islanders. I guess, speaking of John Tavares. Yeah, perfect um, segue. 
Yeah, the um, this is kind of interesting because I know Larry Marillo is kind of known as the guy who's like kind of like stubborn, stubborn to a fault um, with signing guys. So I'm not necessarily sure this definitely means that Tavares is staying with the Islanders um, just because Lamarillo is is in charge now. Um, if anything, I feel like this could mean that Lamarillo is going to try to start a new maybe and like preparing um, for Tavares when Tavares leaves. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I'm not necessarily sure this means that Tavares is going to stay just because they have Lou Lamarillo now. Well, uh, on, on top of all that, it should be noted that um, before he left Toronto, Lou Lamarillo actually had conversations with John Tavares. So oh. that's, certainly, that's certainly a step in the right direction. Yep. Probably more of a step in the right direction they could have with Garth Snow. By the way, as president of uh, hockey operations, uh, Lou Lamarillo, that's his new role. It should be mentioned, Garth Snow is still staying on as general manager. So to all those right. fans that want Snow gone, unfortunately, too bad, so sad, you're still stuck with him. Um, but I, I think in the long haul, this is going to work for the Islanders because this guy has a track record of developing winners in New Jersey. He not only developed contenders, but he developed Stanley Cup champions. He made the Leafs great again in a short amount of time as well. Yeah. Um, and at the time of... Uh, his arrival in both markets, the team he is dealing with was in pretty bad shape. And when he left, they're in pretty good hands. So I, I definitely think that Lule Morello can do a lot of good for the Islanders, but it doesn't just start and end with John Tavares. He needs to improve goaltending. Uh, there's a lot of other UFAs and RFAs that need to be resigned, like Brock Nelson, Callan DeHaan, Thomas Hickey. He's got to figure out the plan for some of the Islanders' prospects, like Josh saying, And if there's someone that doesn't belong, he's got to address that and improve the defense as well. So um, it's it's a work in progress, but I think Lula Morello has got what it takes to make this work. Yeah, um, we'll see. I, I think that's what it's going to come down to, is what what he what's going to happen with this John Tavares situation. Yeah, it is also a weird situation that Garth Snow is still in office, even though Lamarillo is now, like, ahead of him as the president of hockey operations. So it's like he's not technically the GM, but he's also the, the GM. So I don't know. Um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, we have going to, uh, from Brooklyn or Long Island to Manhattan... Uh, with these transitions here, uh, the uh, or, or, or wherever the Islanders reside nowadays. Of yeah, no, I'm saying like it would it would have worked better if it was yeah, where, where are they if they now, were yeah. currently in Brooklyn. But I was like, yeah, like I guess they, Long Island they, still works. They moved to Philly. Philly has two teams now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from from one river to another river. How yeah. about that? Uh, across the river, uh, the Rangers um, officially. Uh, have a new coach. Uh, his name is David Quinn. He used to coach for the um, the the BU Terriers or Boston University. Um, and then he also, I, I'm just looking at his Wikipedia page. He was also the uh, head coach for the Lake Erie Monsters, 
um, which were the AHL affiliate of the Colorado Avalanche. Um, and then he also became an assistant coach for the Avalanche um, in 2012-2013. Um, in BU, um, he was a, he had a record of 105, 67, and 21 overall. Um, and he was a runner-up um, in the 2014-15 uh, season. Um, that was when they had Jack Eichel. Um, and then, uh, but like, from what I've read online and people who, who are big college hockey people, um, they kind of, they mentioned that like, he didn't do a ton f with like, he had like BU has a ton of talent, um, but they could have been better, um, than they were, uh, with him in the market. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing to see is that like he, he does have a good record clearly, but that could also be just with the amount of talent that he has on BU's team. Um, so I'll be curious to see how he, uh, how he goes with the Rangers. I did see a quote that, uh, that he said that he's like 52 years old and he's not sure he's 51 years old and he's not sure if he'll ever get a chance to coach a head coaching job. Um, ever again, so he thought that the Rangers were um, a great fit for him, uh, just because he's excited to be the Rangers head coach. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'm going to be curious to see how this works. Um, you know, college hockey. Uh, David Hackstall of the Flyers, uh, the Flyers coaches, has kind of had mixed results um, from transitioning from college to the pros. So I'll see how be interesting to see how this experiment works yeah and it's it's also interesting because you don't know how the jim montgomery experiment is going to work out in True. dallas because he just got hired in the offseason yeah that's another well. one yeah. uh but uh, there's also um this former member of boston university who played with them from 2007 to 2010 here's what he had to say about jack quinn quote having jack at boston university uh, Jack Parker, who was the head coach at the time, Quinn was an assistant, was the reason why I went there. It was dubbed as one of the best stepping stones to the NHL as far as going to college. Wait, you who is this? You don't know if you're going to make it at that time, but you put yourself in the best position to succeed, and that's what they did. They treated us there as a team, and they coached us to win, but at the same time, their agenda was to develop you and turn you into a better player. End quote. Guess who that was? I'm going to guess Kevin Schoenkirk. Correct. Yeah. It was now so, a member of the New York Rangers. So. I was about to say, I felt like that was, uh, he went to BU. I, I just wasn't sure if the times coincided. But yeah, it does look like he was. Yeah. He even played for the Lake Erie Monsters for a time. Yeah. So he, he's definitely got ties with the with, with some of the current Rangers players, most notably Shattenkirk. And I, just the way that the NHL is going, there's different ways of... Uh, treating today's players it's a different game uh, a lot of the old school players that you're seeing are starting to fade away starting to get older and the rangers are going to be a young team for many years to come and you yeah. need a coach a good mind to help lead them in the right direction and um the rangers management said every conversation they had always went back to uh to david quinn so um it, it seems like a good fit we'll see if it's a good fit uh with him and the rangers Colin Wilson and Nick Benino were also in the bad uh, on that team. I'm looking now, so um, so just a 
thing there. Um, all right, and then lastly, we have uh, Paul Fenton is the wild GM. Um, I'm not sure exactly his uh, background, but um, I guess it makes sense cause that uh, that uh, you know Fletcher was out. The Minnesota Wild needed kind of a change and all that stuff. Um, all it says on his Wikipedia page is that he was uh, he was a player for a while, um, for like thirteen seasons. Um, he was also assistant general manager with the Predators, um, while also simultaneously serving as the general manager for their uh, AHL affiliate, the Milwaukee Admirals. So, um, so yeah, he's been uh, I guess he's been under Poyle's uh, thumb for a bit, and now he's going to be a GM for their uh, division uh, team. So um, that'll be interesting to see how that works. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It's 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 quite the interesting hierarchy. He was a director of player personnel before that as well. Yep. What's interesting is that you know, like we mentioned, uh, he was one of the architects behind uh, building a Stanley Cup Finals roster in Nashville, a Stanley Cup contender. On top of that, and the Preds won the President's Trophy this year, so he knows how to build a regular season champion as well. Um, the interesting tie uh, that um, Paul Fenton has is to the uh, current owner of the Minnesota Wild, Craig Leopold. That's noteworthy because he once owned the National Predators. And nine years ago, when he ended up hiring Chuck Fletcher, uh, Craig Leopold admits that he considered Paul Fenton for the general manager spot. Mm. And Fenton is just the third GM in the history of this organization to receive a multi-year contract. So it shows that they obviously trust this guy and uh, the direction that he's going to lead them. Um, and when asked about what he plans to do with the roster, Paul Fenton says, it obviously doesn't need to be overhauled. We have a lot of really good veteran pieces, young guys that are coming. I like to think outside the box. I'll look at small trades and big trades. Whatever is going to improve this organization going forward to give us a chance to win the cup, we're going to look. So um, it'll be interesting to see how um, – they address all the changes uh, to come in Minnesota within the coming months. And uh, no doubt uh, their first priority, like for a lot of GMs, is the upcoming uh, NHL draft, which is about a month away. Yep, that's a good point. All right, uh, we kind of, uh, we're at an hour ten, so uh, yeah, so uh, do uh, your CHL playoffs update. Okay, well, it'll be a bit dated because by the time uh, you hear this, you'll know who have won. But uh, just a little refresher, we'll talk more about who won it next week. But uh, the OHL champion Hamilton Bulldogs had a decent start to this year's tourney. They lost their opener 3-2 to Regina. But they bounced back in a big way by pelting 22 shots in the first period against Swift Current. And through 60 minutes of hockey, they had 56 shots on goal. Uh, that was enough for a 2-1 to victory. They later went on to beat Akedi Bathurst 3-2, to uh, clinching a spot in the semifinals. That left Regina and Swift Current in a fight for their lives, and it did not disappoint. Down 5-2, about seven minutes left to play. The Broncos made it a 5-4 to game before the decision came to pull their goalie for an extra attacker. However, due to a miscommunication, as Stuart Skinner was heading to the bench... The Broncos end up taking a too many men on the ice penalty. A suspect goal ensues on the ensuing power play. That was the eventual game winner. Regina hangs on to win 6-5. 
knocking out Swift Current from the tournament. They lost all three games. Uh, and that meant the next opponent for the host, Regina Pats, was the Hamilton Bulldogs on a Friday night because Akady Bathurst ended up uh, clinching that by straight to the finals. Uh, the game was pretty close until the third period when uh, the Canines at one point held a 13-1 to edge in third period shots. But only one goal sometimes, that's all it takes to turn things around. The Pats got that one goal to increase their lead. They ended up getting the 4-2 to victory. And they're going up against uh, the Hackettie Bathurst Titan uh, tonight, Sunday night. Uh, for all the marbles, and by the time you listen to this on Monday, you'll know we'll have won, but we'll talk about that more next week. As a closing point for the Hamilton Bulldogs, a tough pill to swallow for them, but they had 40-plus shots in the semis. They beat the Greyhounds in six games at the OHL Finals, which to me is a feat in itself because a lot of people expected the Greyhounds to be the OHL representatives for most of the year. Um, The Bulldogs organization has got a lot to be proud of. I think they deserved a much better fate. And uh, we'll just have to see how they do next year. It'll be interesting to see. They have a lot of talent. Uh, If enough of that talent comes back, uh, they could be good again next year. But uh, it's it's kind of an empty feeling when um, you come that far and your goal is to win the Memorial Cup and it's just taken away from you like that. But at the end of the day, there are 60 teams hoping to get a shot at the Memorial Cup, and they were one of the four that ended up getting in. So they still have a lot to be proud of. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, social media where our social media is lay some up, um, at Twitter. Um, and then we have our Facebook or at least up podcast. I mean, on our Twitter, our Facebook is lay some up. Um, you can email, we're on SoundCloud. If you don't know, um, <laughs> I think you would know. Um, and, um, yeah, if you want to email us, maybe, uh, lace up a bag at gmail.com. Um, it's open. Um, that's about it. Uh, I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 120 late of the Lace Em Up podcast. Enjoy the Stanley Cup finals, everybody. And have a good Memorial Day.